For the last 150 years, we wouldn't even have had a civil war. You know, we lost ten times more men in the North in the Civil War than we lost in World War One. Did you know that? We lost ten. We lost more men in the Civil War than we lost in World War Two. Why? Preaching optional discipleship. Making it optional as to whether you love your fellow man or not. It is an optional. This is the essence of a right relationship with Jesus. You get that? It's the essence of it. And if we don't have that essence of it, no use us talking about it. That's moral government, friends. That's very practical, isn't it? Now, let me show you how important this is. I have helped a lot of people psychologically. I know of a fellow that he called my secretary and said, Tell Harry I won't be in anymore. I'm going to have myself committed to Elgin State Hospital. That's a mental institution. I went and left the office, told her, called him, said, Please don't go anywhere until you come in and talk with me. He came in. I spent three or four hours with him that afternoon, faced him with the things of life. He said, boy, you sure know me, Harry. I'm not going. And would you believe it? He never did go to a mental institute. That man owns a professional football team today. <laughs> I told him, I said, oh, you want to go ride and hide, don't you? You want to hide in the funny farm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you know that the federal government, Department of Health, Education, Welfare, used to say that over 95% of the people in state mental institutions are not sick? I don't even believe in the concept of mental illness. I don't believe that. See, an illness, a sickness, always has a causative agent, a malfunction or a dysfunction of some physical thing. You, do you get that? Well, it's true, whether you get it or not. <laughs> now, if you have smallpox, that means you've got a virus. It's brought that in, you've got it. Now, if I come to your hospital room and you're three weeks there and for an hour a day I lecture to you on why you shouldn't have smallpox, will all my jawbone change anything? No, nothing will change unless you get that virus out of there. Isn't that right? Okay? If mental problems are a disease, why talk about them at $90 an hour? <laughs> you get that? Now, I'm going to show you, though, where they come. Now, if you brought your daughter, your son to me, and some of them have brought some real funny ones to me. <laughs> yeah, my wife could tell you about a dear girl just before they brought her to us. This girl's 18 years old, and she's carrying stuffed toys around like this. It's big. She'd get on trains with a stuffed toy. No matter where she went, she had stuffed toys. Now, if you brought one of your youngsters to me, and you said, my son is mentally ill, I'd say, tell me, what is he or she doing? You start telling me this Say, no, he's not mentally ill, he's crazy. <laughs> There's a difference between illness and crazy. You know why we would say he's crazy? Because he's doing crazy things. Why do you call a man a horse thief? Steals horses. Isn't that a hard question? Why do you call a man a wife beater? Beats his wife. Why do you call a man a dope addict? By the way, why do you call a man a sinner? Oh, you haven't studied your Calvinism. I can see that. Because <laughs> Calvinism says you don't sin because you're a sinner, but you 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 sin because you're a sinner. See, see, you're not a sinner because you sin, but you sin because you're a sinner. See, you were born that way. Then try to get that guy guilty. 
and then just try. That's, that's a moral impossibility to get him guilty. Well, now if you brought him to me, I'd say, no, he's not mentally ill, he's crazy. And the reason he's crazy is he's doing crazy things. And we call those aberrations, things departing from the norm. Now, here's the reason. Why is he doing crazy things? There is the crux. And here's where the blessed gospel comes in. We're all designed, created, built by God with two great big needs in our life. And the first need is to love. To love God and to love our fellow man. When I love you, my dear friends, I'm fulfilling a need in your life, but a need in my life. Then I have the need, and so do you, to be loved. To be loved. See, God created, he designed us. If I insist you put oil in your crankcase and I designed the car and you're going to get more wear out of it and better use, I think that's been an act of love by telling you how to treat it right. Isn't that right? Am I being hard and burdensome and oppressive and rigid? Of course not. Why do we accuse God of that then? Well, God designed man and man runs on love. He runs on love. Now, I believe that this is as true, my dear friends, as anything you could possibly put on this board. Now, I just put the letter M in there for mental. I'm not arguing now whether it is a disease or a weakness. I believe it's a weakness. How many of you know who Dr. Clyde Naramore is? You hear him on Psychology for a Living, and Clyde and I have known each other for 35 years, back to his Columbia University days. He used to say to me, Brother Harry, I don't believe alcoholism is a disease. I think it's an outward symptom of an inner need of the heart not being met. And he says, if we keep on telling them they're sick, they're going to breed like rabbits. <laughs> you can't help it. Well, have they bred like rabbits? Yeah. Oh, man, have they. Why? Because they can't help it. Now these stupid schools are teaching the kids that three out of every ten of you are born chemically dependent. Yeah, three out of every ten. Well, I don't believe anybody's born chemically dependent. Think of that. Because look, I don't believe it's a sickness because God says not one drunkard is going to get in the kingdom of God. I think he'd be unrighteous to keep you out because you're sick. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Well, it is a weakness. Now, but I'm not going to argue whether it's a weakness or a sickness. So here's the way I believe you get these mental problems. We'll call this one down here organogenic. What that means is you've got a malfunction of some organ, or you've got a, a chemical imbalance, or somebody's hit you on the head. <laughs> and you can. You can begin to act a little funny like that. Ah, but what's this one, friends? Here's the other one. Can you read it back there? What does it say? Our sin. Let me tell you how the human mind is. It's like a TV set. You put a brand new TV set here, color, has a very good audio and visual reception. 
and you got to tune down and you look at it. Now, I'll tell you what you do. You just come up to that TV set and do this to it ten times a day while it's turned on. Do this. Not on the tube. You're on the side. Now, this is like this. <laughs> and that's about the first time you see like this, see? And then you got snow going across there. You look like a football field. Now, I'll tell you what you do. You do that ten times a day, and you do that for six months, and there'll come a day when you can't adjust that out of there. Do you know why you can't? And that's an that's a, that's a engineering fact I've just given you. No, I haven't broken it. What? No, 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 no. If you'd put your hand out here, I'd slap it. <laughs> no, no, no. You're pretty close, but the close only counts in horseshoes, lawn bowling, and hand grenade throwing. <laughs> It's unnatural. That's the closest. Somebody else comes. Wasn't designed like that. A TV is a very delicate mechanism, isn't it? Not designed to withstand vibrations and shock and all that. We're wonderfully and fearfully what? Hey, you think the human mind is any different? I said, every time we go out and we commit a sin, we've whacked our TV set in the side. We've really whacked it. So then, we can begin to get these problems. But now, watch this, friends. Can you read that? What does it say? Sins against us. I was going over this with our company shrink. I took him out to lunch, and I never knew a shrink yet didn't like a free lunch. So I drawn that on the on the airport's uh, napkins, and they just loved that. And I'm I'm going through this, and I'm explaining. He says, "Oh, Harry," he said, "You won't get me to argue with that." He says, boy, that's the way we're put together. The name was Bill Gould. He's now dead. And I had also drawn this one over here. And he said, you won't get me to argue with that one, especially that one you put there. See that sins against us? He said, I'm the consulting psychologist also for the Sterling Rockfall school system. And he said, we had a 10-year-old little sweetheart, a girl, down there. Wouldn't come to school. She had school phobia. A lot of you had that, didn't you? Fear of going to school. And she wouldn't come to school. So one day he said, I sent the police down there. He said, and I said, now you bring her, even you got to carry her. And here they came carrying her. She's scratching and kicking and screaming every foot of the way. When they got her there and set her down, I said, now settle down, honey. Nobody's going to hurt you. And when she settled down, I said, now go get her parents. Well, here came the police with her mother. said, where's her dad? Well, he wouldn't come. He said, you go tell him if he doesn't come, I'm going to sign a warrant for his arrest. Oh, here he came as a Hessian volunteer. <laughs> if you know your history. <laughs> like this, you know. Now, they set their mother down here, their father, and he said, now, honey, 
What is it you're afraid of here? Are you afraid of the teacher? She's, oh, no, she's wonderful. You're afraid the building's going to fall on you? Oh, no, it's a nice new building. Are you afraid of the other pupils? Oh, no, these kids are wonderful. Well, what is it you're afraid of? Because, you see, when I told her she had to go to school, she'd just become a stark, raving, screaming, little psychotic maniac. What are you afraid of, honey? She points to her dad and says, him? Him? Why are you afraid of him? I said, Mama was gone one day, and he came and took me out of school and took me home, and he hurt me. You know what he'd done? He raped his own daughter. Now she knew... When her mother, when she has to go to school, she's away from her mother's protective custody. And her mother didn't stay home all the time. And bang, that just triggered it and the poor old girl gone. Now you see what I mean by sins against us? If you know somebody, dear friends, having problems mentally, you start loving them. And you're going to start fulfilling a need in their life. To real mental health, dear friends, there's three hours to it. Can I have it? For this one. Now, I'm going to show you how people using what we call moral government have helped tens of thousands of people. I want you to know there's three R's to mental health. First one is reality. Reality means the situations and circumstances of life as they really are. Not the way they used to be or they will be someday. No, face them right now. And by the way, let me explain to you what reality really means. Reality means the situation as it really is. And by the way, if you want a definition of truth, truth is the reality of the situation or subject or circumstance. But see, you can't explain what truth is without explaining what reality is. And reality is the situation as it really is. All right. Most people don't want to live in reality. They want to live in fantasy land. All right, the second one, R is responsibility. You see that up there? Where is it on that chart? Same as a law. Same as a moral law. Every responsibility you've got in this life has got sanctions connected to it. Now, the last one. Right. You know, a fellow went into the Veterans Administration Hospital in Los Angeles Hospital for the mentally ill soldiers, had 200 in there, and ordinarily only one would leave a year's cure. He started teaching them these three R's right here. If you face the situations and face yourself as things really are, assume and fulfill your responsibilities and do what's right, you'll be right. Would you believe it? The first year, 74 left is cured. Only four ever returned. Up here in Boston Psychiatric Hospital, Boston, Massachusetts, they taught this to a hundred college kids, average two years, who weren't even Christian kids. But they, they give each one of them two or three. They're working for the summer. Two or three patients. First, they went and showed they loved it. Then got them to write home, got them to call home, and got them to face reality, assume and fulfill their responsibilities, do what's right, and they would be right. And would you believe it? They've got dormitories up there right now, longer than this building, that are empty with all the beds folded up and pushed back into the ends of it. 
Fifteen years ago, we had 750,000 hospital beds for mental patients, and we had about two people waiting for each one of them. Today, we got half of those with nobody in them. Now, this thing was used down in Milledgeville, Georgia. That's the biggest state mental institution in the state of Georgia. And here's the way they were teaching this. And they were teaching moral government. Like, now they said, none of you men are going to get any breakfast in the morning unless you've got 25 cents in wooden nickels. Now, here's the way you get a wooden nickel. You get up and you shave. That's worth a nickel. You clean up. Put your clean clothes on. You clean up your room. And they gave them five things to do and get in the line on time, and there was a wooden nickel for each one of them. You know something? The last time I heard, only one man had missed two meals. One guy almost ruined the whole deal down there. He started counterfeiting the wooden nickels by sawing them off of broom handles. <laughs> you going to tell me he's sick? <laughs> you going to tell me he's sick? No, he's lazy. That's what he is. Lazy. He's not sick. Well, we don't know the difference. Now, I was going through this with Bill Gould. I was telling him, our, our shrink, the company shrink. He says, oh, Harry, what you're saying is so true. He said, when I was an intern at Elgin State Hospital, he said, we had 200 men in this particular ward, a big crowd. And he said, you could go in there about any morning. You could walk up to any one. sitting there looking like this. And you could go put your hand in front of him like this. He'd never even blink an eye. Man, they're out there in bye-bye land. You know, fantasy land. They're escaping reality. They're escaping responsibility. So he said, you know what we'd do? We'd ring the fire bell. He said, man, they don't jump up right now and run for that door and run out there and start out and look, and there's no fence. You think they keep on going? No. Here's what they do. Line up in front of the door like a like the National Guard going back in there. Four in a breath. They want it back in. Hey, there's responsibility out there. <laughs> there's reality out there. You got to do right out there. So he said, they'd line up there, and then we'd let him in, and he'd say, we let him back in about 10.30 in the morning. He said, they go strolling down this corridor, and there's a machine with ham sandwiches in it, 65 cents a piece. And the guy'd put in exactly 65 cents. <laughs> then he goes over here, it was 45 cents for a package of cigarettes. He put in exactly 45 cents. And then he wanted a Coke with all this to wash it down, and that was 25 cents, and he put in two nickel, two dimes and a nickel. He said, you going to tell me they're sick, they're crazy? No, 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 no way. I said, let's analyze it. When they're sitting there like this, when the fire bell went off, Boy, did they put their mind out of neutral and into gear. Because they've got to get out of there. They don't know it's a false alarm. So you're going to find their motive to live was greater than their motive to escape reality. Isn't that right? And they run right out of there right now. Now think about it. Their motive to live was greater than their motive to escape reality. And they'd run right outside and then come back in and start peeling out the money and they, he says, I agree with you. They're not mentally ill. They, here, now here's what it is, friends. They have problems in living. Now who ought to be able to help many more problems in living than Christian people? Now let me show you. 
The first mental institution in the United States was started by the Quakers. They never treated people like they were sick. And when they'd bring their people from their congregations in, and they'd have them mental problems, never treat them as sick. They treat them like they had problems in living. Problems in living. The first hundred years, they kept very meticulous records, and they found out within one year, 90% of these people would be gone, have been brought in. 90% wouldn't stay here and never come back. Otherwise, 10% they didn't, they couldn't get rid of in the first year's cure. In 1905, they bought the Freudian package. You know what I mean by the Freudian package? Oh, this baby's sucking its thumb. It's got a repressed sexual tendency. <laughs> it doesn't know puberty from Pennsylvania. <laughs> sucking its thumb, a repressed sexual tendency. You've got green eyes. Your mother was scared by a pool table, see? <laughs> See, they start treating them the Freudian way, that all your problems are, can be, your mental problems can be equated with sex. Yeah, all the mental problems are equated with sex. The trouble with Freud was, he was hung up on sex. He tried to get the rest of the world hung up on sex. So they brought the whole Freudian package and began to treat them now like their patients were sick. Would you believe it, friends, within five years? Now, at the end of each year, there'd be 90% still there. See what that did? That turned their results 180 degrees around. From treating them with problems in living to treating them like they're sick. Now, my dear friends, who ought to be able to help them, help these kind of people the most? Christian people should. But you've got to understand these particular things that we are talking about. Now, I told you down about Milledgeville, Georgia. Would you believe they emptied whole wards? Now, Brother Bob, I was speaking for your friend and my friend, Watson Argue Jr., out in uh, Rosa, California. He had a new $3 million church there. And I'm preaching on this on a Sunday night, only I brought in on the incipiency of the will. And uh, a policeman that was there, and he heard it, he said, well, I'm going to get a tape of that, and every state cop in this state's going to hear that. <laughs> but then a big husky guy came up to me, and he said, Mr. Khan, I heard this tonight. If anybody here gives you any argument, you bring them to me, because I was in Milledgeville. I was one of those guys that wouldn't face the responsibilities of life. I wouldn't face reality. I wouldn't face my duties and my task in life. And I wouldn't do what's right. And along came this guy that you're talking about with the broom handles and the saw and those things. And he said, I began for the first time in my life to act like a grown-up man. See? See, that's moral government, dear friends. That's what that is. So does God do it by cause and effect? No, he gets the truth of the blessed gospel into us. And the love of Christ and the love of Christian friends. That we need love. We run on love. That's the lubricant of the human being. And the persuasion of preaching. And the influence of the blessed Holy Spirit of God. Come in. Now, would you agree with this, friend? Influence is not a compelling force. It can be accepted or rejected. The causation leaves no choice and is irresistible. Would you agree with that? See, this is, a, this is a, the, the very risk that you have of bringing children into the world. You run the risk 
You can be a godly influence, but you can't be a causation. Just like God, when he made man, he ran a risk. When he, he made man, that man wouldn't always do what he wanted him to do. You're sovereign in your home, but every time you bring another child into your home, you cut off a slice of your sovereignty and hand it to that child. Would you agree with this? You can exert an influence upon a free agent. You cannot cause a free agent to sin. Well, he isn't free, right? Now, what do you think of this? It is inaccurate and ignorant to say a moral act can be caused. How about what I told you last night the Supreme Court Justice said? When a man kills his wife and four children, don't blame him for what he has done, but look into what caused him to do it. See, he's mixing up here a physical term with a moral term. I'm sure you'll agree with this. Great confusion is being propagated by psychologists, sociologists, and theologians by using moral and physical terms interchangeably. And the church isn't saying a word to them, Brother Bob, about them and letting them get away with it. And what the preachers are doing is going and taking their counseling. Let me tell you, dear friends, something about a real preacher. A real preacher, if he'll spend 16 to 24 hours alone in congregation, he won't have to counsel them during the week. And if you want your preacher to fall, you just let all the women come and counsel to him and tell him about all his sex, their sex problems. You won't have that problem. Very, you won't have that preacher very long. He'll have problems of his own. Now, <laughs> oh, this is the way the human being works. See that back end of that trailer or that tractor? That's the sensibilities. But it goes where the front end goes, doesn't it? All right, now what determines which way it goes? The steering wheel, right? By the way, when it makes a wrong turn, you got a horn up there, it blows. <laughs> now then, my dear friends, can any of you people tell me that when a semi like that wrecks fishtails or jackknife, can you tell me what's caused it? What was that? Not quite, but the back end starts determining where the front end's going. See, well... Is that the way it's supposed to be? No. Can you control it? Well, that's what God says. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. If you're just going to live for what you can see, feel, touch, taste, hear, and so forth, that hearing can be symphony music, too, by the way. doesn't have to be the rattly bang, 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 you ain't nothing but a hound dog kind. <laughs> now, when you go around the curve on the deal like that, and you're going fast, What's going to happen? It's going to fishtail. And I'll show you at the next slide. It's down near my hometown, Indiana, when I went to high school. See that big sweeping curve? That curve between 2 and 4 o'clock in the morning after all the police are in, they're in bed, you know. So let her rip. And they come around there 60, 70 miles an hour. Now they whack. There's a viaduct here. But then they came into this sharp curve to the right. 60, 70 miles an hour. Well, when they got about right here, they started pushing and pulling everything in sight. And they start to try to get around that curve, but the, the all that momentum of that big weight and everything is all right on over and upside down that creek, and about 30 of them drown. Upside down in that creek. You know why? The back end was determining where the front end was going. Isn't that right? Now, by the way, dear friend, back it up one. Uh, back it up. One more. Now, I want you to notice 
What's supposed to determine which, where that thing's going? The, the will, but enlightened by an enlightened intellect. So it should turn and decide. Now, you show me someone that's having problems uh, sexually, let's say, with temptation right now. I'll tell you how to get rid of them. Just start thinking about the Detroit Tigers or the Chicago Cubs or President Roosevelt. What, what do you think will happen to your emotions? Bye-bye, Blackbird, right? See, your emotions go where your mind goes. This is why the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Doesn't it? The Bible, first and foremost, addresses itself to our mind. Christianity is a religion of thinking, friends. You stay away from any form that doesn't want you to think. It is he says, come now, let us what? Reason, reason together. And he means it with all his heart. And God means it. But now then, this will is to be guided by an enlightened intellect. So, here's the way Adam and Eve were back there in the garden. And God came down the cool of the evening. I believe they were like this. Here was God. Here was man. They react and responded to him, and he react and responded. But then they wanted to become God, didn't they? And they got up here like this. And now then, they got God to start serving him. You hear these kind on the radio and TV, everything. You too can be rich, all this, this, and that, right? Grab it and grab it. <laughs> oh, it's name it and claim it, that's right. And then you watch. You watch what will what, happen. You see, now here is supposed to be the will, guided by an enlightened intellect and the emotions down here where they belong. Doesn't mean no emotions, but have them where they belong in a right way. But pretty soon, here's what you find. The emotions up here now, they're living for feeling. Even in the realm of Christianity. Heredity. God doesn't care who your mom and daddy were. Or what they were. They may have been the worst old dogs that came down the highway. It doesn't make a bit of difference to God. Because if you will repent of your sins and seek Jesus and trust Him, you'll get a whole new Father that's perfect and you can't find a thing wrong with you. that will cleanse you and protect you and enlighten you. How about it? Am I talking Shakespeare? No. All right now then. Environment. Oh, bless God. you got the Spirit of God to come in. Now you got Christian friends. You can go into those old miserable environments and you can be a part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Amen. And now look at the other one over here training. You got the blessed Holy Ghost to teach you. You got Christian friends to teach you. And man, look at that. Because you have chosen to turn from your sins and let Christ have his way in his life and let him have what he died for. Look what we got to offer the world. Look what we have. We don't care what this was, this was, or that. If you make, get this, if you make this right choice, get this. God will make up for every deficiency in those other three areas. Amen. Boy, what we have to offer this world. And you know why? It's free. But it costs everything. <laughs> it's free. Oh, what we have to offer this world. And then we want to do business in secret. One more. So, incipiency of the will is man's ability to originate his own actions apart from any outside. Inside. This is the biggest mystery of man. 
why man can be raised by a godly mom and daddy that have, re that have denied themselves for him since they were a baby, sent him to college, carried him to church in high school, take it right out and throw it away. Or some who were raised in good families like that, but they hear about the blessed gospel, how he loves them too. And he's, if he, they'll turn from their sin and turn to him, he not only will be their savior, but he'll bring his heavenly father with them. My, what we, isn't this a sociology that makes sense? This is a Christian sociology. Peter dismisses. And I'll finish with the rest of it tonight. And then we're going to have Brother Ted speak. I have a